Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined by Thomas Scone. Hello! So, you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, I'm currently Akshay's housemate, so this was a very easy trip for me to make and get on this podcast. And, um, well, I'm very interested in the darker parts of human existence and history. Um, I absolutely loved horrible histories as a child, so yes. I love the historical stuff you've been doing. That seems to be just on the mark for me. Horrible histories, that's never haven't had in a while. I grew up in that stuff. I've got the entire comic set. I was so sad when eventually they stopped, uh, they stopped issues at issue 90. Oh, yeah. So... Um, what are you going to be talking about today? I've decided to approach this, despite what I just said earlier, not from a history perspective, and instead tackle a obscure corner of the internet called the SCP Foundation, which has become a nice home for creative minds who love to think in odd, mysterious ways, and doing everything from comedy to the darkest of what we can imagine. I'm excited. I love the SCP stuff, so I'm excited to see what you bring. Yes, I have no idea what you're doing yet, so I am very interested. Oh yes, uh, I should probably say that, shouldn't I? Well, today, I'm joined by the help of my friend Black Witch Ale, which is, um, how did you describe it? Um, it, I tasted a little bit, and I don't like ales, but that one particularly tasted like the outdoor smoking area of a bar. It, it was... Oh dear. I love the names of ales, and I, I wish I liked them more. Black Witch, Hobgoblin, they've got the best names. Spitfire. Rums have got pretty good names, at least. Yeah. I'm sorry, Wormwood Brewery. You've got some winners. This isn't one of them. Oh, sad days. He says, going for another drink. Oh yeah, I'm still gonna drink it. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm gonna be talking about a gang of Jewish uh, rabbis who went around torturing people to get to get them to divorce their wives. Right, that, yeah, d- the initial setup just makes me already asking, what the hell was the motivation behind that? And, well, we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Oh yes. So, I didn't get any new promos this week, so, um, actually, we'll, we'll cut to music this week. If you're a podcaster and you want a promo here, let me know. And we are back. So, I normally give my guests a choice. Do you want to go first or should I? I, as much as I'm interested in what your one is, I think I'd actually like to go first with this, because there's a bit of stuff that needs to be established with this, so I figured it might be good to get it out of the way, rather Excellent. than leaving people wondering, what what's an SCP? Okay, yeah, that works. I mean, no, I always have people to go first. Yeah, well, let's hope I... Uh... It's been a while, actually, so, uh, so I'm glad you did. Ah, well, let's hope this uh, format... I can actually uh, explain this properly, so... I'm sure you'll be fine, and honestly, I love these anyway, so it's going to be fun for me anyway. Brilliant. Hopefully hopefully, one of the uh, the four major ones is one that you haven't heard of before. I've included one of my absolute all-time favourites, one of the classics, one would say. Um, one which is well-regarded, but maybe not have heard of. And then one which is, at the end, is just a bit sillier. That'll be great. Let's get into it. So, the SCP Foundation... Operating clandestine and worldwide, the Foundation operates beyond jurisdiction of any government and is entrusted by them to deal with anything anomalous or otherwise inconceivable to the regular human imagination, beyond the realms of what we have more publicly experienced as science, something undescribable. So, in this uh, 
role. The foundation operates um, to ensure that the regular human person has normalcy in their life and everything is progressing as we know it today. So, specifically, they're trying to ensure that human dependence is independence is maintained from, from extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, and extra-normal influence. So, that's a bit of a broad-ranging category. I'm so excited. <laughs> I thought best to give some of the background first. Yeah. So, I should actually probably specify SCP. So, SCP stands by their motto, and it's Secure, Contain, Protect. So... Yeah, you can start seeing where this all sort of slots in and how yeah. it all fits together. It's like, yeah, Men in Black, more gore and more badass. Yeah. Um, so the very, very brief thing is when I might be occasionally referring to three different type, major types of positions within the uh, Foundation. Four major positions, sorry. The Class A's. So this is something like the Ruling Council. They're not allowed to interact with things because it's too much an issue if they get contaminated or otherwise influenced. Mm-hmm. Then you have researchers and site directors. So they manage the actual like handling of the SCPs and such. And they deal with the day-to-day sort of looking after an entire site of them. And, right, let's find out some more information about them. And then you have the D-Class. The poor, poor D-Class. The D-Class are their expendable test subjects of the society. and Or the Foundation, even. Usually convicts of violent crime, um, but it does specifically specify that in particular need, they will take political prisoners or from refugee populations. The Foundation is, in its approach, and quite clinical indeed, uh, they will take whatever's necessary. Yeah. And uh, the other bit to get out of the way is you have four different categories. Safe, so that's anything which is easily understood or contained, doesn't do damage. Euclid, which is dangerous to humans in either a one-on-one or group circumstance. Or Kita, which is, this can bring about the end of the world as we know it. The other class that, um, as I said, was, uh, as I said, four, is Thaumiel. Uh These are objects which are often used to contain Kita class objects. So without that out of the way, I take you to the first, the original of the SCPs, the sculpture. So... Like, they can't see if I'm, I'm just grinning, like, I'm beaming right now. <laughs> like, yeah, so anybody... Like a child. Yeah, anybody who knows a bit about SCPs probably knows about the sculpture. It was actually uploaded, um, I believe, in 2007 to 4chan's Paranormal Board as a entirely separate and self-contained paranormal story. 2007 is also when... Um, the first Weeping Angels appearance in Doctor Who came out, and you will find out why that is particularly notable, as the actual beastie took inspiration directly from them. Yes. Uh, for those who want to look it up, the image of the statue that they use to uh, show what the SCP is supposed to look like is um, hard to describe, I would say. I could post that as the hint for the, for the episode hint. That would be a great hint, because... It, there's, because the longer you look at it, the weirder it gets. Yeah, I mean, the, because the people who know it is will like be like, oh. yes. And everyone else will be like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> like it's a pretty horrendous statue. Its face is actually quite hard to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the actual statue itself is made from concrete and rebar, and was uh, made in 2004 by Japanese artist uh, Zumi Kato. Oh, Kato, I might be butchering the pronunciation. This SCP. What makes this supernatural, otherwise dangerous, to 
everybody else around it. So for those of you who are familiar with Weeping Angels, its influence is quite apparent. It doesn't move until nobody is observing it. In the case that nobody is directly observing it, it can move at a terrifying speed. And it has one singular purpose when moving at this speed. It's to get behind you and break your neck. Oh my god. I forgot the details. I, I forgot how horrifying this is. Yeah, I feel like the Weeping Angels, like, is... I'm, I'm assuming this came out after the Weeping Angels, of course. But it's like, I, to be honest, the Weeping Angel, that's what I sort of thought they did when I first watched the episodes. Okay, I'm not, I'm not much of a Doctor Who person. I've not seen the episodes. I saw it when I was fairly young, and, well, I didn't particularly like it, except in the terms of it was quite scary. My sister actively flinched for a couple of years after that any time she saw an angel statue in a graveyard <laughs> yeah that, that episode is that episode is quite effective mm. and the scp works in a similar way as i said the influence was quite apparent for the first scp and you'll see that as there's over three thousand of them now there's a range of influences being taken but scp 173 it's quite notable, because it's also been involved in the first of the SCP games. Oh, yeah, is that the, um... Containment Breach. Yes, that's the one. I, I remember one of my friends playing it a while back. Yeah, it's it looks pretty horrifying. Um, having this thing chase you, and having a blink meter which you need to manage and work out, well, can I blink, or is it close enough that I'm going to be dead the next time I open my eyes? It's it's a fairly fairly straightforward premise, but it makes for quite a terrifying game. You can try and close the doors, but as soon as you've moved away from the door, it can open it. <laughs> because you're no longer observing the door. Of course. Indeed. So, one of the things which particularly differentiates this from the Weeping Angel stories, uh, and the, fan, the uh, creature that's been developed by Doctor Who, is it has a particular property whereby any facility that it's kept in so in this case, the SCP instructions recommend that it is kept within a locked steel container at all times. And at any time, three people have to enter it if you need to go into the container, and the door needs to be locked behind them to prevent any containment breaches. Hence the name of the game. Of course. But why would they send people in, you might wonder? Well, that's because that... Over time, a layer of blood and feces slowly covers the floor and surrounding walls of its environment. There's no particular explanation for that one. It just <laughs> happens. Okay, I did not remember that. No, it's it's one of the odd facts, but it means that every so often they have to go in and actually clean the cell. And this is where most of the incidents with SCP-173 has occurred, either due to power blackouts, leaving people, um, or just very, very bad luck whereby three people blink at the same time, and all of a sudden one of them's gone. <laughs> it's one of the archetypes, uh, the oldest SCPs, and it is certainly probably one of the ones that most people know. But, well, it's actually a bit tame by comparison to some of the SCPs which will come up later. Excellent. Indeed. So, I think the best thing is now to get on to SCP-072. The Foot of the Bed. I do know this one. This, one, this is also one of my favourites. Uh, you know, you've had some really good choices. I tried to stick mostly within the first 1,000. Yeah. Because um, I thought, well, 
you know, maybe I'll be back. Maybe I'll be able to do the next 1,000, pick a couple of key choices from there. That could be fun. Yeah. So, what do you remember of this one? Enough. Enough. Well, let me get into the description. Enough to remember it was horrifying. Indeed. This one is, I actually think, one of the clever ones, because it's not very, it's not a massively long one. Some of the SCP um, documents last quite a while. They have full-on experiment lists. What happens when you introduce a D-class to this giant reptilian monster? Turns out the giant reptilian monster rips the D-class apart and showers their guts all over the walls. Pretty obvious, but the Foundation <laughs> likes to be sure. So, the foot of the bed. Um, it describes it as a 0.9 meter long hand which infects or possesses a regular bed. This regular bed, once possessed by the creature, is then given the anomalous property whereby if a person sleeps in the bed with one foot open to open air and the light levels drop below five lux, if that person then enters deep REM sleep, well, the hand emerges from underneath the bed and gently taps at the foot of the person who's asleep slowly awakening them. And once they've become awake, they're hit by sleep paralysis. They cannot scream, they cannot move. Well, that's pretty terrifying in and of itself. Well, SCPs always tend to get a bit more gory than that. So the next step is probably the worst, as the hand of the arm. The fingers lengthen to points, and... It reaches, and it starts gouging flesh away from the foot. My god. Why? Yep. So as the person is there, watching their own foot being taken piece by piece, they can still experience the pain, but they cannot scream, cannot move. They get to watch as their foot, all the way up to the ankle, is taken apart, piece by piece. And every single time the hand takes a piece, it goes back beneath the bed... And then emerges once more. Why is that worse? Missing. Why is that worse? Worse than what? Like, why is it worse that it goes away each time? Because it makes it a lot longer. The person who thought of why? that... I've, I've heard it so many times, but it's like, why is it still scary? I think it's great because it preys upon the innate fear that we all had as children, where I like, oh, I'm too hot, I need to put my feet out the end of the bed. But if my feet are out the end of the bed increased risk of boogeyman attack exactly and this is pretty much the boogeyman in a horrible quite clinical approach to for some reason just goes around removing people's feet yeah oh man that's oh man why is that oh i don't like it yeah i don't like it and (laughs) the anomalous property then also manifests in any bed within 10 meters of the original bed that hatch, that the event occurred in. So the idea of this one was it would slowly spread, especially if you were in, for example, an apartment complex. You can imagine an entire oh, no. hive of these creatures. Obviously, they wouldn't last very long because they eat people's feet and people don't ever sleep in that bed again because your foot just got eaten. Sure. So this one's one which these, the actual Secure Protect area is actually quite straightforward because... It's actually registered as safe because they found all the beds that it occurred in and they just threw them in a containment facility and they ignored them. They tested it briefly 
which evidently meant one person got one um, expendable test subject got their foot torn off. But after that, they just put it away. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> never speak of this again. Yep, there's a lot of those in the basements of the SCP Foundation. I hope that was a nice little one. The next one is, I would probably say, the details would probably make this one the most horrendous. So, this one is... SCP-604, The Cannibal's Banquet, A Corrupted Ritual. Have you heard of this one? I don't think so. Ah, because this one is the one which um, I'd read a while back, and it's not on one of the top-rated pages, but it's morbid. Okay. You can tell somebody um, probably had a bit too much fun coming up with this one. So the actual premise is fairly straightforward. It's a set of dinnerware. 19 plates of various sizes, and 21 drinking implements, ranging from champagne flutes to goblets. And, well, the anomalous property emerges when any edible meat or fluid or anything like that is placed into or onto one of these items. And once that occurs, the food in question turns into human flesh. Or the closest analogy, analogous object from the original thing you place down. Therefore, if you'd place down cranberry juice into a goblet, it's going to turn into blood. So you can start seeing like how this can slowly get more and more horrible, right? Oh man, like, like what is it going to be like a fucking? Is it like going to be a flesh bus or something? Oh god, no! Thankfully not. <laughs> Thankfully, the plates are limited in their size. Okay, so it's not just going to put a bus on top of one of these plates. <laughs> it has to be food. It has to be edible okay. food. Okay, it has to be edible. Okay, yes. No, yes. Um, I mean, um, so... I mean, I could give you an example first if you want to. Okay. Um, do you want the more severe example? Or the less severe example? Hint, they're both pretty severe. Surprise me. Well, we'll go with the lower of the two. Um, well, I, one might think the lower of the two. So, if you would, for example, place a pair of eggs and some thin slices of beef in a way that they resemble the female reproductive tract, well, yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's the less severe example. Um, the more severe example, which the, the article uses, and I'm pulling directly from the article is if you were to use duck stuffed with Kobe beef... Kobe... Is it Kobe beef? Um, that becomes an infant torso. Well. Yes, sorry if I've brought down the tone of the podcast. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> so, this can... Uh, there's a lot of different types of these effects. So a suckling pig with an apple in its mouth becomes an entire human corpse with an apple in its mouth... Um, putting down pig entrails ensures that you get um, a human digestive tract. And, well, my, my actual suggestion is go to the SCP website and read through it if you want the entire list of it. Because this person has gone into some detail, including what chicken wings turn into. Do you want to take a guess at to what chicken wings turn into? Arms or something? Baby's arms. Lovely. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So this one was actually acquired from another fictional organization within the SCP lore called Marshall Carter and Dark Limited. 
And to give a very brief overview of what they do is they are like the SCP Foundation. But they sell all of the things that they find <laughs> and make money off it. And this is one of the items that they managed to procure. And they were renting it out to various wealthy individuals who wanted a taste of the darker side of things. Ah. Indeed. So hence why it's the cannibal's banquet. Anybody who has enough money, anybody who desires it enough, could save and potentially rent a spot at one of these feasts and then indulge themselves. <laughs> indulge is a good word. Indeed. It's... Like I said, it's one of the definitely one of the darker ones, partially because of its specific details and the fact that it starts concerning very, very small babies. Yeah. Pretty dark. Oh, yeah. That's not one I've heard, actually. No, that's a new one. I'm glad I was able to surprise you with one, at least. So the other one is actually one of my personal favourites. It's SCP-1703 Season Opener. No, I don't think I know this one. So, this one's got a very bizarre start and it's a very it's well worth a read because it's sort of a slow creeping horror as you have make realizations as to what's happening my favorite kind so it's a recording of a basketball game and in and of itself that doesn't sound like much but this basketball game was recorded by a fan and the fan calls up and complains about the referee not making a call on a foul however this foul never actually occurred in the game so the fan goes back, rewatches the video clip, and captures where the foul occurs, and sends it in. And the governing body of looks at this evidence, and they say, This never occurred in the game, but there's no way we can possibly prove that this video document is false. It, for all intents and purposes, looks exactly correct. So that's a weird, weird start. And this is where it gets referred over to the SCP Foundation. So the idea is the SCP Foundation has many agents embedded in various other agencies and like governments and such. So when they hear of something like this, they sort of lean in, you know, they sort of like take over. And anybody they take it from, they uh, administer mind-affecting drugs to, which make them forget. It is Men in Black. It is pretty much Men in Black. I can't say that... Like, I think the SCP Foundation definitely took some lines from Men in Black. I mean, I'm okay with that. I love Men in Black. I uh, watched it not too long ago. It's actually... It's actually st the first one has actually stood up the test of time fairly well. So, sort of short and very disappointing one, if that was all there was to it. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it's not. So, it's a video on a typical DVR. It's a digital recording. And specifically... It's of the 2010-2011 NBA season opening game played in TD Garden, uh, at TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts between the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat. So this is an actual game which was played in real life. Which, I like the detail. They've actually gone to this level of detail. So after this video clip was obtained and taken out of the public imagination and kept and quarantined, the SCP agent uh, watched it, and he'd watched the original game, and he noticed that it wasn't just the foul which was wrong. There were other parts of the game which weren't adding up. For example, uh, a shot which was blocked, but it wasn't actually in the real game. And he goes, well, that's really odd. So he sets it aside, and he's writing stuff up, comes back to it, watches it again, because he's like, right, okay, 
everything needs to be viewed multiple times. We need to make sure we know what we're dealing with. And the game's changed again. And more shots are being blocked. And okay. uh, the, the defending team strategies are evolving. And this is where he starts thinking, hang on. Is this going to change every single time I watch it? So this is where it starts becoming more of a research experiment. And they initially thought that the, the, the recording had been created such that it could produce an endless possibility of outcomes of this game, like a recreational style of use. Uh, turns out that initial assessment wasn't quite correct. So as the playbacks went on, slowly things become more noticeable. So I've got the timeline here. So at playback 15, the score remains 0-0 of the eight consecutive possessions. The fans are appearing subdued, and things are not quite working as they should. So less scores are happening, as I said, as defending strategies become more advanced, almost as if they've got some old experience they're drawing upon. You can oh, start man. to see where this is going. So I'm just soaking it in. Like, yeah. This is a great story. I love this one. It is one of my favourites. I've not heard this one. This is great. Oh, So, by playback 26, uh, Miami Heat wins the first time in every other circumstance the opposing team won. And the crowd becomes aggressive. They're starting to get more angry. They don't feel like they sh uh, the Celtics should have lost the other team. And they start saying how about how the players are adjusting remarkably well for a match which they haven't ever played before. And then it gets to playback 44. And playback 44 is where things take a turn. The teams emerge disorientated and confused, and the game is suspended. And the majority of the time on the playback is spent with the medical professionals um, looking at um, assessing the mental state of the players. So just to, just to give you a wider view, this is all being presented as if this was a live TV show. Yeah. In terms of the cameras are switching and everything, and you're showing an entire view of the stadium. Yeah. So you can see all the people in the stadium, and like the commentators are commentating over everything. So that will be important when we get to later. But playback 44. The crowd is also starting to feel odd. They can't quite place their disturbance. The commentators mention it, and they also feel like they're afflicted. And the recording ends with correspondents interviewing members of the crowd as to what this feeling might be. Okay. Recording ends. Playback 45. The players refuse to play. Everybody else actually gathers on the court. So at this point, the cameras are not being used. The commentators are not bothering to commentate. They know something is amiss. Okay. So they gather on the court and they start talking. And through sharing their experiences of what's happening, they all come to the same realisation. They are reliving this one event over and over again. So the fans start going, well, right, let's leave then. So they go to the doors. And these are the limits of what you can see. Doors do not budge. They cannot get them open. They start making makeshift weapons to pry the doors open. Nothing budges them. This is where they thought, okay, this is getting odd. So the SCP Foundation and its infinite resources manages to go out and check every single member of the, who attended the game. And they're all fine. They're okay. all living their regular day-to-day -day lives, and they have no awareness that anything was amiss. However, from what they've observed, 
these people are acting as would be expected for them. So they're acting very much in character. They're acting as a human would. And they're experienced yeah. distress like a human would. So, playback 51. No attempts to exit the building have succeeded. All exits in the arena and adjacent areas remain sealed. A fight breaks out between a drunk group of college-aged guys and an older male. This leaves the older man concussed and bleeding in the stands. The camera is not able to actually pick up the voices on the opposite side of the arena, so it's quite hard to work out what the exact uh, case occurred was, what started the fight. It's suspected that the drunken group of college guys didn't want to help with the escape plan. Playback 52. The man knocked unconscious in the previous playback arms himself and bludgeons one of his attackers to death. Fucking okay, no. hell. <laughs> playback 55. The crowd is now able to remember the entire events of that week, as well as friends and families outside of the faculty, or the facility even. Attempts to contact the outside for help are met with failure. Playback 65. The crowd has been unsuccessful in its attempts to leave the facility. This feels very Stephen King. I haven't read much Stephen King, but, Stephen King, but it does. So they've started removing themselves from different places, and they've started splitting themselves up. So the women and children and anybody who's looking after the, uh, the kids, they go down to one end of the, um, the court. The players are all sort of barricading themselves in now. And various other groups are trying to escape. However, there's a group of individuals who the researchers end up referring to as the Faith Keepers. They gather up and decide this is a punishment from God. What is the punishment for? Commercialization. So they start offering up a <laughs> offering in the centre of the court of their mobile phones, their keys and everything else. Punishment for rampant consumerism, exactly what it says. Mm. So, however, quite a few of them remain trying to escape. Playback 73. The Faith Keepers grow in number after Playback 72, where three males nearly managed to kill themselves because they'd managed to fashion, fasten improvised explosive to one of, and attached it to one of the doors. They have no success. Where would you get an explosive from? I imagine okay. using regular chemicals found in medical bags and such. Fair enough. Playback 95. Hedonistic displays of sex and violence have now started to occur amongst the people trapped there. And, well, it's um, curtains are hung up to try and keep the eyes of the children safe. As people in, involve themselves with orgies and everything else, violence breaks out. Playback 112. Conditions have deteriorated considerably. An unspecified number of individuals leap from the balcony section to their deaths within 10 minutes of the start of the playback. Now, the numbers are redacted from here, so this always makes me wonder just how far did they take this? How long did they run, keep replaying this experiment? Mm. What researcher took that decision? I mean, it's the SCP. Indeed. So, playback not specified. The Faith Keepers, that being the religious group, storm the players' facilities to retrieve Paul Pierce and LeBron James, two of the star players. The players are ritually sacrificed, and their bodies are subsequently displayed on the arena's Jumbotron. 
The murder of the players seems to have no effect on the recording. Playback unspecified. One of the groups calls for the sacrifice of children. The remaining adults which have been keeping their group together form a wall between this group and the faith keepers. And then playback unspecified. First recorded deviation in arena light to a deep red colour. From there on, the data is expunged and there is no additional playbacks noted. I like that one. That was cool. It's one of my favourite ones. It gives yeah. me chills. Wow. That, that's terrifying and also amazing. I love it. Yeah, I would highly recommend, because obviously I've skipped over details um, and I might have misrepresented parts of it, but that is one of my favourite ones. I think you did pretty well. I like to th- I, I started Ooh. really getting into it. <laughs> Is, is it just called in here as well? Yeah. <laughs> so the last one, the last SCP, I figured, right, well, we've had the nice doom and gloom. Let's have something a bit more amusing. The other side of SCPs. This is one you definitely know. This, I, I can see it on your screen, uh, just a picture of it, and it's my, I think this might be my favourite one. It's, it was a brilliant one. So this one is SCP-294. Simply titled "The Coffee Machine." So, what do you what do you remember of this one? Most of it, it's amazing. I love it. It's one I of love the ones. It, so much. it really sticks with you. It's a really standard. It's a really like nondescript one, which is the brilliant thing as well. It is a standard coffee vending machine. However, where the buttons would be, instead there is a keyboard. All you need to do is input fifty cents, and then you can type what you want to in the keyboard. And quite often, it will deliver exactly what you asked for. However... I'm so excited. This is, um, let's say, quite variable in its outcomes. This was tested after being recovered from a... Reg- I think this actually was found in an SCP facility. So it makes you wonder, does having a group of anomalous items around create more anomalous items? Just an interesting thought. So they tested it, and they had all sorts of things. And they put in requests for water, coffee, beer, soda, and they all uh, came out in a little polystyrene cup. And then they also went into, right, how about sulfuric acid, wiper fluid, motor oil? Yeah, they all came out absolutely fine. And then they went to stuff like, right, well, how about we go with nitrogen? Nitrogen's a gas, usually. Iron, glass... And you would get a liquid version of that item in a <laughs> small polystyrene cup. I love that it's still liquid. Yes. Well, that can be quite interesting, but I we'll know. get to that later. That's why. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you could have uh, 50 consecutive uses of this device. And after that, the device will stop responding for 90 minutes until while it restocks itself. The first one is probably one of my favourite parts of this uh, SCP. And it's the story of an agent who goes in and, well, I'm going to assume he's probably from New York or something, so he used the slang of, uh, I want a cup of joe. And obviously, that's slang for coffee. Mm. However, this being a very... This being machine, and very literal, what actually came out was a combination of blood, body tissue, and other bodily fluids. Jesus Christ. Yes, and this was taken from the nearby Agent Joseph. 
<laughs> who, after they um, took him into a uh, into the medical ward, found out that he was missing a cup's worth of internal organs. <laughs> Why is that so good? I don't know. Like, it's that... just like, oh yeah, I have a cup of joe in, in another room. You just hear, ah! Muffled <laughs> <laughs> screaming from the distance. Yeah. So, this was um, quite interesting. And it's been used in various other things. So it's been used to in regards to other SCPs. So there's an interesting thing where some SCPs or reference other SCPs, and they'll ask for something from an SCP or put one SCP inside another SCP. You can look into that because they have links branching off. Mm. So one of the other addendums of showing off the testing ring is the testing part of this story is cup of gold. The machine dispenses a cup of molten gold. So you think, well, you know, it's no wonder the the Foundation has as much money as they need. Mm. Then you can have a look at some of the more weirder ones where people are th- properly testing the limits of the machine. And the request was for a cup of anti-water. And the machine actually gave a unique response where it said, out of range. Hmm. So compare, uh, pairing that with what happened when you said a cup of joe might imply that this machine has a theoretical range and it doesn't produce the item. It just takes the item from somewhere else. So that would yeah. imply that anti-water is outside of the range of what it can grab. Then the next one would be a cup of diamond. So this one didn't actually work and said out of range, but there's a more scientific reason for this, as diamond is a state of carbon. Therefore, asking for specifically for a state of carbon does not work. If you then said carbon, you would get a, pi- a cup of paper, car- uh, liquid carbon even. Yeah. Okay. There's quite a few of these. I think one of the more interesting ones is when one person asked for the perfect drink. The machine dispensed a cup containing an odorless lavender liquid. The subject drank the liquid and went into shock. Later on, the subject committed suicide, leaving a note which read, I'm sorry, but at this point, everything's just one big letdown. Oh, no. Yeah, so this thing can produce items so miraculous that they will get you to kill yourself because everything else is just not as good. Holy shit. And it's also quite interesting because you can also have other... um, You can actually put in concepts. So you can ask for a cup of music. And then after ingestion of a cup of music, the subject who drinks it will report feeling a continuous rhythm and actually makes them better at dancing. (laughs) So this is quite interesting and there's various other things. My suggestion is read it. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's actually there's loads, aren't there? (laughs) There's quite a few. Yeah, big variation. But I think this shows how the SCPs can be funny as well as dark. Yeah. Oh man, I do love the SCP stories. Yeah, I think I started reading them when they were just getting into the second thousand of them. Yeah, I think same, yeah. Yeah, and there's every so often I go back and I read through. So this was actually, I've actually planned to read some more after this. Yeah. Because I, I've forgotten how much fun it is just scrolling through and just going, oh yeah, like, I see like a title which looks vaguely interesting. Yeah, I'll have a look at it. Some of them are very self-explanatory. A rock that falls sideways. <laughs> but then some of them are more 
vague. Uh, one of my other favourites is, I think it's called the Red Sea Object. My god, that one has got an odyssey behind it. That is one of the longer SCP ones. Not one that I could probably do unless I made it my only subject. Yeah. But it takes you on an adventure. Excellent. Yeah, there are some great ones. I think my favourite one was called Stairs or something like that. Stairs. Ah, that is one that I briefly considered putting in. Reading it is great, and there is also a video game based on it. There, there is. I think there's two. Yes, I think there is two. It is a stressful experience, because you're just walking down some stairs, but there is something there. And occasionally the audio will give you hints as to what's actually happening. (laughs) Music intensifies. Yeah, horror games which have great music. Oh, God, it's great. Oh, but yes, we should, um, is there everything for you? That is everything that I brought to the table today. Excellent. All the SCPs. Awesome. In that case, we'll cut to music and then be back with Jewish people torturing people for divorces. I can't wait. This, I, I have to know. And we are back. So, that was Tom with the SCP Foundation and a few stories. Hopefully you liked it. There's a load more, so if you're at all interested in uh, finding out some more, go and read. You can be on there for hours. Yep, it's great horror sci-fi. But yeah, so, let's move on. And, yeah, I literally just found this last night, two nights ago, because it was one of those nights where I was like, I'm going to go to sleep at like 10.11, and I was up till 3am reading about organised crime. So... (laughs) As I was going to say, so this is so you were reading about organized crime, and slowly but surely, and then I found it led this. you to rabbi torturers for divorce. Yep, sure. Uh, it was the rabbit hole of clicking the related article uh, links a lot. <laughs> yep. and I, then I found this, and I was like, "This is what I this is what I'm doing." Just straight up, basically a bit of background for it. Generally, for in Jewish law, basically, um, a Jewish man is allowed to divorce his wife for virtually any reason by first receiving her permission and then giving her a get, which is basically a divorce form. And this get is very important, as you'll see. Yes. A divorce document, basically. Okay. If if she's unwilling, but his complaint against it is substantial, uh, he can pursue something called a hetermia rabbinim, uh, and which will let him remarry. Though it's rare that one of these is awarded. Right. Have you checked the pronunciation for all of these? No. <laughs> oh, we're both going to be having it with the pronunciations today, aren't we? Oh, it's fine. I have made it very clear to my listeners that I promise nothing. <laughs> oh, thank God, I feel like I'm not as... Uh, At this point, bad pronunciation is basically encouraged, so don't worry. Oh, perfect. I feel like I'll fit right in. <laughs> now, for women, it's a bit different. If a woman is seeking divorce from her husband, she has to present her complaint to a Beth Din, which, like which basically a Jewish court, and it has to have an implication of a serious physical blemish or a character defect. I'm sorry, what? It has to be... To quote my notes, the implication of a physical blemish or character defect. Okay, so the character defect thing makes sense. Uh, You know, that's all fairly broad. That could be anything from like, he doesn't treat me very well, or he doesn't do this for our family Mm -hmm. or whatever. Just the the physical blemish part is... um, It's not nice. No, it's an interesting term. Sorry, I'll... I'll, I'll... No, it's fine. Like like I said, jump in any time. Now, um... Even with that, the, basically the husband has to be willing to divorce his wife. If he gives the get unwillingly, 
then the divorce is invalid. And basically any future offspring of the wife will be considered Mamsa's basically illegitimate and make it very difficult for her to marry again. Right. So it's very much in the man's court here. Yeah. Like basically if things really warrant divorce and the husband isn't willing, the, the day in which one member of the court can institute community shunning measures. Right, I can to, start to see where this is going. And to quote, to coerce him until he agrees, uh, with physical force being reserved for worse cases. Hmm, interesting. Did you notice the wording there? Yes, um, I have a feeling that we might be discussing a rare case. Yep, and just put a bit more perspective, like when I found the quote in one of the articles basically of someone that was trying to get a get but wasn't involved in this case. Like, so just a normal Jewish woman that was trying to get a divorce. And so I'm going to quote from her. Uh, her name was um, Rivsky Stein, who was a 25-year-old who lives in Brooklyn. And basically she says, um, Without having to get, I have no prospects of getting remarried. I can't date men. Uh, I have no future of having more children. It just literally locks you in. You're just entirely chained, and in a sense, you're controlled. So it really kind of nails it in a bit there, of just, like, how fucked up we can get sometimes. Yeah, how like, this can actually be seen from the person yeah. who's inside of this system. Because that's also the thing. You can describe the laws of a system, but until you actually get an inside perspective, it can sometimes be hard to see how they apply, and it seems like this is pretty pretty bad. Yeah, one of the reasons that people are very mixed about this case. I Yeah, I'm looking forward to like trying to work out, is there, gonna, is there a like, right side and a wrong side to this? Like basically, you can look at this in a, in quite a few ways, and it shows with a lot of the articles I've read because I went through quite a few news sources. Oh, um, different different uh, slants to the. I basically reporting. went through the first three pages of Google. And they all got <laughs> but different. There were lots uh, of views. Diff- different news sites. Like they didn't always have different views, but um, oh, okay. every now and then they did have a little that little bit of extra info that you could find. Uh, in the end, they're trying to write a good article. And they're not trying to tell you in the info. So, <laughs> basically, this kind of stuff can be dealt with in a few ways in Jewish faith, but it can be more complicated in the US because you have to go through the uh, courts as well. In um, Israel, husbands can be, who refuse to grant divorces can be imprisoned, but that can't happen in the US, so they use this social pressure instead, kind of enacting a pseudo-law, almost. Yeah, the dodgy area of when you're in a single community, that single community can unfortunately become a yeah, it's basically, uh, like, pseudo-society. Yeah. One guy called Rabbi Mark Dratch was the executive vice president of the Rabbinical Council of America. Basically said, it's embarrassing to the individual and, and to the community, and it's not something that we're proud of. So, it, like I said, like, some people hated it, some people were just like... I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually hear the entirety of the yes, case. Like but... it's, yeah, it's better to go for all of it. You can yeah. see how it, how there's already a lot of different views coming even before. Yeah. And even, obviously... like, even before there's been a case. Yeah. So I was, I, I was raised Catholic, and it's weird because once you step outside of religious uh, stuff, some of it, it's, it throws a weird contrast on how almost archaic some areas feel. But then, obviously, there's plenty of people who still adhere to it, and then it's like, there must be some reasons to it. But yeah, so basically, um, in this kind of context, the main, the main uh, perpetrators of, of this case was a rabbi from Brooklyn, New York, called Mendel Epstein, or Epstein, I think it's Epstein, but yeah, basically began advocating for women seeking religious divorces from their husbands, which is in like, and this is in the mid-1980s. From the sounds of it so far, good on him. Um, so he's pretty well-respected like, in this area. He made his living from appearing before rabbinical courts, like I said before, were known as Beidin. Basically, he usually uh, worked on behalf of female spouses seeking exit and taking special interest in the constraints that wives faced 
I often speaking about the rights of women in terms that weren't often heard in deep uh, conservative Jewish communities. Now, I was sometimes he went a bit further right, in coming up times. So I was saying, I was, I was liking him so far. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, this is this um, is good. Stand by the morals. I'm going to tell you the reason I picked this case, and it's it is awful, and all that, but in the end, the main reason I picked this case was because this crime gave him a nickname. Do you want to guess what it was? Um, please, please basically, tell. Okay, I'll give you a hint. It was just due to him boasting about using a cattle prod against his victims sometimes. Cattle prod. Oh, go on, go on. Tell, tell me, tell me. Um, the press called him the prod father. <laughs> <laughs> I just they somebody 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 in one of those places they thought, ah, yeah, yeah, that, that'll have to do. We'll have, we have to give him some sort of nickname, and everybody else is going, oh, fuck it, we don't have anything better. Pick up that name. I mean, I already thought it was quite interesting, but then I saw that and I was like, shit, I'll have to do this one. Is that is that going into the title? The title <laughs> of this episode? It, it's quite possible. It probably is. I mean, that's, that's got to be one of the more uh, yep. eye-catching parts of the story, just from a uh, quick glance. Yep. Oh, I know. Oh. Oh, uh, wait. What is it? SCP Sunker again? Secure Capture. Secure Contain Protect. Or Special Containment Procedures. Secure Contain Prod. <laughs> <laughs> Secure contain prod. <laughs> oh my god. Perfect. Oh, and like, I just thought and I was like, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, back to serious crime um, stories. Just um, <laughs> because, yes, we are professionals here. Mendel Epstein uh, started a divorce gang which basically coerced men to give, to give gets through the use of violence. A divorce gang. That is a brilliant term. Yeah, even though US laws basically prohibit what he did, which basically consists of kidnapping, assault, and torture. I need some details. Mm -hmm. I need those details. Like, um, some rabbis have even basically even gone on record anonymously to basically sanction these, quote, inhumane acts against angry husbands. Okay, so supporting... Um, like, basically anonymously being like, we can't legally say it, but you know what? He's got a point. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so we're getting already, before we even got that far into this, we've got a gang of Jewish rabbis who are taking what is effectively a vigilante gang of rabbis who are forcing men to divorce their wives if the, their wives can't actually get the divorce themselves. Basically, yeah. Please. Go on. <laughs> it's yeah, it's quite a unique one, right? Like, it's pretty common for rabbis to take action against husbands, but it's not common for people to go this far. Yeah, I, um, I could see like, that. Like, normally they do things like bar them from synagogue life or something like that. Yeah. Now, this gang basically, for, um, instead, orchestrated kidnapping and torturing of victims. Um, they basically charged them on their wives. The, the, the examples I got were $10,000 for a rabbinical de decree permitting violence, and then on top of that, another fifty thousand to hire others to carry out the deed. Um, my um, my respect is starting to uh, wane. Yeah, it wasn't even if you look if anyone looked into it properly, then it'd be quite obvious it was happening. Yeah, basically, like, it got to the point where in nineteen ninety one, uh, a men's rights activist called Monty Weinstein uh, staged a pro protest with twenty five people outside Epstein's home, with some of them carrying signs which literally just read "Stop Mendel Weinstein." I. It's hard to work out how this... Yeah, sorry, when was this actually all resolved? Later. Later? <laughs> Later. Wow, I guess I guess that's what you get when you've got a separate community almost, which is quite... Sometimes it can be quite hard for others to actually hear about what's yeah. happening. There was a lot of looking the other way. Yeah. But there was, there was a protest. There was, like, people yeah. who, who must have known this was going on. Did they yeah. not take this to anybody? I guess he's a rabbi. Who do you take it to if not if in a religious... Basically, a lot community? of time... 
I'm not sure if it's actually my notes, I can't remember. But uh, what I've read, basically, if people were to complain, uh, the police are just like, it's a crazy Jewish guy. <laughs> That's a... That was a quote I read. Wow, that is an interesting um, an interesting take on um, law enforcement. So, and on top of that, um, Rabbi Epstein was sued in the late 1990s by another Brooklyn rabbi called Abraham Rubin, who basically claimed that a group of men shoved him into a van and left, as he left the synagogue, hooded him, and applied electric shocks to his genitals in the effort to force him to provide a get for his wife. Uh, this lawsuit was dismissed. Right, um, I... Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to wonder how. I, I guess this was pretty... This must have been pretty public. Like, this guy just getting bundled into a van. I've got a list of the victims that I did get stuff for. It was in the newspapers um, in the late 90s. Other men also came forward with similar tales of curbside abductions and mistreatment. Yeah, this is... It's staggering that this is like... So, that was the late 1990s. So, yep. at this point, he's already been going for at least a decade... He's actually the first one on my list, so I don't know why I forgot that. Oh, perfect. I, I need to know more about this. Well, yeah, anyway, so um, just to get back, just so we're getting to the, the victims, basically. In an interview, one uh, guy called Paul Fishman said that they investigators uncovered evidence about a, of about a couple dozen victims. A couple, a dozen victims. Yeah, a couple dozen victims. So uh, quite a few. If that's uncovered evidence for you, you can pretty safely assume there's more of this, of this amount of time. Wow. Yeah, like, there's going to be enough people who... I, I, one place I read basically um, it's late in my notes, so I'm not. I think I, I read somewhere where that um, he'd boasted about it being something like one every year and a half, at, around on an average. Right. And this went on for quite a while. This must have been pretty lucrative for him as well. Yeah, he was minted. Right, let's get to some victims, shall we? Most of them are from Brooklyn, and then. They were taken to New New Jersey as part of kidnappings. That's that was normal. Uh, Mo. MO yeah. It's in order of when they came forward. So the first guy was Abraham Rubin, uh, and um, well, first one on my list at least. Um, and basically on October twenty three, nineteen ninety six. So already pretty obvious it was a bit further in than uh, it started. If like the protest started, it was nineteen ninety one. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this must be the point where somebody thought right. Yeah. This has to be... Like, something has to happen. Yeah. Well, this is the first one I could find that someone had actually come forward for. That was actually logged, at least. Like, there had been one before that, but, you know. Yeah, I guess this was a more public case, yeah. considering it actually got uh, it got to the point where he was being sued. Like like I said, he was sued. Um, and that's when it really became taken seriously and stuff. Uh, Ruben was shoved into a van, beaten and stun-gunned in his genitals until he agreed to give his wife a get. Um, it lasted three hours... Ouch. After which he was left handcuffed and blindfolded at the entrance to a cemetery. I've actually got to say, that's um, that's, that's a pretty good flair for the dramatic they've got there. If they, like, leave their victim at the entrance of a cemetery. There's almost like a hint. Hey, we could have done you in. Yeah. Pretty rough. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not sure. I can't remember who it was exactly, but there are some pictures of, like, victims going to be rescued. Def- like, some people were like... Not sure if it counts as kidnapping, but if you look at pictures, definitely kidnapping. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, next next up we have Stephen Weiss, who was a accountant, and he came forward in 1998, um, basically saying that his jaw, leg, and arm were broken in 1992 by members of a gang ring run by Epstein and Martin Walmart. No arrests were made for this. About a dozen residents of Borough Park and Midwood, Brooklyn, were interviewed by a place by by a news company called Newsday. 
and they basically all, all of whom claimed that they were harassed, threatened, or assaulted by men working for their estranged wives. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's and this is just people that they found to interview. That's that is significant, and this isn't something that you would go around and tell people either that often. Yeah. So it's not likely as if somebody's just like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was part of this too. Why would anybody do that? Like, yeah. why would anybody lie about? Um, Glenn Hines basically said he agreed to look into the charges, but despite pressure from victims, he declined to prosecute in the end. The weird thing is, I took a moment to remind myself, where I'm like, ah, oh, these these poor people. But then I just reminded myself as well as, assumedly, the reason they're getting attacked is because they didn't want to grant their wife a divorce. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, basically I don't know beforehand, so I don't know if they're actually shits. Um, like I said, it, there's a lot of ways you can look at this. Yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah. Anyway, next up, next up, next up, next up. Uh, Israel, but no, wait, no, next. Israel Markowitz, uh, basically on the first of December two thousand and nine. So getting quite recent now. Yeah, we're jumping now. Like I said this. That is just ones that I found. Like there were more. Basically, uh, Markowitz was led from Brooklyn to uh, Lakewood Township in New Jersey under the pretense of receiving employment at a document shredding establishment. He was then assaulted, placed in a van, tied up, beaten, and shot with a stun gun until he agreed to give his wife a get. It's... Uh, wow. It's Yeah, it's like, it's starting to become a bit of an MO now as well. Yeah. Kidnapping, beating, stun gun. Mm-hmm. Next up, the one that basically set off, like, actual reactions from the authorities. Where on October 16, 2010, Israel Briskman, uh, who was an Israeli citizen, uh, was basically lured from New York to the Lakewood home of a guy called David Wax, who was an accomplice of Epstein. And basically, he was promised employment as a typist of Talmudic texts, religious texts. Yeah. And basically, he entered Wax's home shortly before midnight, which, for one, oh. for, after being offered employment, would you ever go to someone's place right before midnight? No, it's not when I expect to be writing out my religious texts. Yep. And basically, he was shown into a second-story bedroom and punched in the face, uh, which broke his nose. And then he was uh, forced to the floor uh, before being blindfolded, handcuffed, and ankle-tied. You must be thinking you're about to die in this situation, right? Yeah, pretty much. I don't want to be forced into the back of anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was bad enough that a pool of blood basically uh, was left on the carpet. Wax, who I don't know why it was so specific, uh, wore a car- cowboy hat during the attack. Right. Apparently that was in the details. Presented Briskman with a body bag to, quote, to get used to the sides. Okay, at this point, yeah. at this point, this guy is clearly enjoying it way too much. Mm-hmm. Like, he is, he is thinking these things out in advance. Yep. He was then kicked in the ribs, burned of acid, uh, yeah, basically, and threatened to be urinated upon, fed to rats, and buried alive, until he agreed to give his wife a get. David Wax was paid $100,000 from the wife's family for the document. Half of this went to Epstein, who also attempted to extort an additional 50000 from Bristol's father in Israel over the phone, and basically threatening if he didn't comply that he'd receive a special gift. It's called a bullet, dot, 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 in your head. It, he, he's pushing it too far now. I, yeah. I feel like he's uh, he's losing the touch with the whole threatening thing. It's like, that. that's just a bit too sort of blunt, really. And yeah, this is basically when the FBI was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, especially because I guess Israeli citizen as well mm-hmm. uh, look particularly bad for on uh, America's lands. The last couple I got were... Um, Usher Shemowitz and Menachem Tatelbaum on August 22, 2011 in, in Brooklyn. Shemowitz and his roommate Menachem were assaulted, t- 
tied up and beaten for two hours until Chenwitz agreed to give his wife a get. Ten of them was punch- punched in the face and had four of his teeth knocked out. His head pushed through a wall. Through a wall, not into a wall. Th- through a wall. I suppose the Americans have drywall, which is... Uh... Yeah. And his mouth was stuffed with dirty socks when he, started, when he tr- tried to scream for help. When he asked why they were beating him, seeing that they were after Chemwitz, basically one of his attackers quoted the Talmudic dictum, quote, Woe to the evildoer, woe to his neighbour. Okay, now that guy, that guy gets how to threaten somebody. Yeah. Like, he, I, he's the one who's like, the got. He, he, I bet you he was the one who, who dro- said, let's drop him off at the cemetery. I'm sure at some point, like, when they realised they were saying this kind of stuff, they, were, they must have been like, are we the bad guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> are we the baddies? Yeah, one man also told the Daily News, he didn't, couldn't figure out who this was that said it, uh, like, but that he had first-hand knowledge of the torture that Epstein's henchmen were accused of doling out, uh, quoting that they forced on him. He would only give his name as Mr. Goldstein. Quote, they busted my fingers, busted my ribs, and kept me handcuffs. Yeah, and it's a really wide range of time as well. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's one for ages. Yeah. And it was meant to be like one every year and a half. Yeah. So. Is it two, so it's at least two decades at this point. When, when did this all start? I'm not sure exactly when it's when the first time was. He began advocating for the British divorces in the mid-1980s, and the first protest was in 1991. So, yeah, at least two decades. Yeah. I'm not sure if this was directly because of torture protests. It could have just been because um, they didn't want him to change laws. Yes, that actually would make a lot of sense. So, well. it, so um, I didn't just thought of that, actually. Yeah. So, uh, well, I suppose um, from 1996, um, at least, oh, though, so yeah, at least 15 years. Yeah, like he was stood in the late 90s. Yeah. Long enough. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's one way to put it. <laughs> like I said, on October 2010, um, the Bristol kid happened, and uh, that's when the FBI got involved, basically. David Wax and his wife Judy were arrested for their part in the kidnapping, and Wax basically agreed to testify as a government witness and identified Epstein as the head of the operation, saying that their relationship dated back to the eight, 1980s. Oh, okay, never mind, there it is. Dated back to the 1980s when Einstein had forced a divorce for Wax's sister. So we've we've got we've got a time scale now. Mm-hmm. Somewhere somewhere in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. So at least two decades of this. Yeah. They set up a sting operation, which was called the twenty thirteen New York Divorce Torture Plot. I mean, th- so that that is honestly the extent of what I saw before we started this conversation. Yep. And yeah, this is what went, uh, made me go, okay, what? <laughs> yeah. Before we even started recording. Good name. <laughs> it is, and it, make, it makes me wonder, because I've been keeping up with the news for quite a few years now. Like, I read BBC News, and I keep an mm. eye out on a couple of websites, and I'd never heard of this. A lot of the articles are from 2015 as well. It's not long at all. I guess it must have been very much an American incident initially reported. Um, but still, that's... I would, yeah. have thought, I would have thought we would have heard it. At the very least, in terms of, like, its sheer audacity and the... Just the absurdity. Anyway, so... Let's get to the sting operation. Uh, this occurred in the summer of 2013. A woman basically dialed Martin Walmart, who was one of the accomplices of, of Epstein, and basically told him that she had a husband who refused to get, give her a get. And Walmart, uh, I believe he worked in the Jewish courts. Like, a lot of this was recorded on wires and stuff. Of course. And Walmart said, um, to quote, You need special rabbis who are going to take this thing and see it through to the end. Getting a guy like M- Mendel Epstein, who's a hide hand... You need to get him to New York, where someone could either harass him or nail him, plain and simple. Okay, yeah, this guy does not messing around. This is full-on organized le- organized crime levels mm-hmm. of uh, getting shit done. Yeah, bas- oh yeah, basically, yeah, when 
I'm not sure it was of the exact context of when it was, but um, I seem to have lost it in my notes somewhere. Your notes are too extensive. <laughs> I, I knew I had it somewhere, and I can't remember where I put it. So, basically, he ba- it was basically like, I'm not sure if it was asked or if he said or he just said it. Basically, he said, um, in regards to where, if, if they died from a heart attack from fright, he was just like, and what on what he'd do in that, in that situation. I believe the quote was, he'd turn right and let them die. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, these guys really did not... Yeah. They really saw this as like a proper job, and they just like didn't care about... It makes you wonder... What were the exact motivations? Because they were getting paid, but I believe when he was caught, he was in his seventies. Oh, actually, yeah, I got, I got a bit, I got a bit sir, actually, but that, was, that I re- mentioned earlier. So basically, he was pretty confident that, he, that the local authorities wouldn't investigate too closely. On August 14, two thousand thirteen, um, this the agent basically visited, visited Epstein in Lakewood with another man that she said she was that was her brother. Epstein uh, said said to the visitors um, more quotes. Uh, this is an expensive thing to do. Basically, what we're going to be doing is t- kidnapping the guy for a couple of hours and beating him up and torturing him, and then getting him to give me to give the gap. To which the man asked about his effectiveness. To which he replied, "No, wait a minute here. I guarantee that if you're in a van, you'd give a get to your wife. You probably love your wife, but you you'd give a get when they finish with you. Hopefully, there won't even be a mark on him. We prefer not to leave a mark, because when you do, they go to the police." The police look at the guy, and basically the reaction of the police is, the guy does not have a mark on him. Then is there some Jew- crazy, Jewish crazy affair there? And they don't get involved. So that's the full... That is... Wow. This guy... This guy has balls, I can say at the very least. Like, he was pretty confident. Yeah, so basically then he explained that he'd need 10,000 to approve for the coercion at the death in the court. Yeah. Because um, he was bribing the courts. Um, and 60,000 for the tough guys who would use karate, rope, a screwdriver, and plastic bags over the men's heads to get them to cooperate. If all else fails, then, to quote again, we take an electric cattle prod. If it can get a ball that weighs five turns to move, you put it in certain parts of the body, and in one minute the guy will know. Yeah, we, we, can, we can guess. Well, we've already, been, we've already been told exactly where he liked to shove his cattle prod. Yeah, but that quote in particular is just like, considering he straight up said it, yeah. I was like, it's... <laughs> also, I do love the specific of karate. Like, yeah. you're bundling a guy into the back of a van. Don't, don't think it matters if you know karate or not. Yeah. You're just going to punch him in the face regardless. Yeah. But no, it's karate in particular, apparently. Just in case. Yep. And then he also told him that he wouldn't be present at the attack, planning instead to be out and about, and suggested that she should, that she do the same. I explained that he being seen in public would would give them an alibi. Guy's um, clinical, he's cold. Yep. Of course, these were FBI agents. <laughs> so, on October 9, 2013, eight men wearing Halloween masks, ski masks, and bananas came to a warehouse in Middlesex County, uh, New Jersey, where they flexed and shadow boxed as they awaited their prey, to quote, from the internet. <laughs> oh my god. I believe that bit, I believe that bit was from Wikipedia. That's, that's something. Yep. Yeah, basically waiting for the husband who didn't exist before federal agents burst in and arrested the kidnappers. I'm just imagining all these guys, like, sort of, like, standing around. I love the flexing, like, these guys standing in a Halloween pass with some sort of like, pig mask and just going, peak physical condition, I'm going to go beat this guy up, and then all of a sudden, oh god, all my illusions of being this tough, hired muscle have gone out of the window, because now I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. Yep. I don't know why it's that specific. Like, yeah. I only saw that in one place. Yeah. To be fair, though, I love... So that might just be um, a bit of a... Uh, Flair. 
flare, so, but yeah. still flex in the shadow box is the quote I, yeah. I saw. Uh, but yeah, so basically, according to the prosecutors, um, Walmart told the quote tough guys that that at the warehouse, um, uh, Walmart was there along with um, Jay Goldstein, who was sixty-one, Mosh Goldstein, thirty-two, Avraham Goldstein, who was thirty-six, Simcha Bulmash, thirty-two, Benjamin Stimler, forty, David Hellman, thirty-three, Shalom Suja, thirty-one. Who are all from Brooklyn? Ariel Potash, who was forty-two, uh, from New York as well. So a fair few, a big range of editors. Yeah, sixty-one. He's the yeah. He must have been in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, so all no, like... I, I think he was mostly there for the, for the um, uh, to officiate the divorce thing. So the rest of them are sort of like thirties to forties, I suppose. Men who are sort of slightly active in their their religious circles and their sort of communities. So yeah. I guess it makes sense, but still yeah. odd. Yeah, basically these guys were referred to as the kidnapped team by the feds. Yeah, sen- sentencing. Lovely. Six co-defenders pleaded guilty before it went to trial. That's um, not a good sign for them. I mean, they got caught about to kidnap someone. Yep. Like, and yeah, so basically on April 21st, 2015, Epstein and two of his accomplices, Benjamin Stimler and Jay Goldstein... Uh, appeared before di- District Judge Freda L. Wilson of the United States Court District Court of the District of New Jersey in Trenton, where they were convicted of conspiring to kidnap. On December 15, at the sentencing, Epstein told a judge, quote, Over the years, I guessed, I got caught up in my tough guy image. Truthfully, it helped me, the reputation. Convince many of these reprobates to do the right thing. Yeah, I can see the getting caught up in the... With the whole thing about, like, the, I'm gonna send you a present... A bullet it, in the head. It did kind of escalate. It it really did. Epstein was sentenced to 10 years, uh, and Stimler was sentenced to 3 years. Wolfson basically said during the seeing that no one is permitted to commit acts of violence against each other. Which, fair enough, honestly. Yep. Can't find the exact, the exact quote. It was something along the lines of, like, you can't just go around torturing people. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that was, that was basically what it was. I can't I can't find it right now, but yeah. And basically, it was like the sentence was necessary you know, to deter others in the Orthodox Jewish community from engaging in similar paid vigilantism. Yeah, considering the amount that could be made, I can see somebody wanting to just sort of step in and take that role. Yeah. Especially because they can tell themselves, I'm doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. And the next day, Goldstein was sentenced for eight years, or 96 months. The guys that pleaded guilty beforehand were sentenced to as much as 48 months. At his trial, defense attorney Robert Stahl argued that Epstein was a champion of women's rights who was pu- just who was puffing and exaggerating whenever he talked to uncover agents, admitting that some crimes may have been committed, but argued that there was no kidnapping. I, I have to wonder what some crimes they were admitting to. Like, I'm pretty sure the entirety of this case resolves around the kidnapping. Yeah, I mean, if you see the pictures, you can't argue that it wasn't kidnapping. Yeah. Like... The, the pitch is like straight up, and it's like, no, this is a, the guy's like tied in rope and stuff. Like, uh, I believe when they, I believe the actual capture, they took, they claimed about 30 foot of rope, uh, masks, um, and some other stuff as well. Just, just in case they needed to make it more obvious. Yeah. Like, it was. We're going to go kidnap somebody now. Yep. And in a 10 minute address to the court before learning his fate, Epstein basically took responsibility for his actions. Ashby Park Press reported that, to quote, the last two plus years have been a living hell, and I have only myself to blame. When I listen to the tapes, I'm embarrassed and ashamed. Referring to, like, all the surveillance videos and tapes. Just happens to be the most damning 
had evidence against him. So basically, he was upset he got caught. Yeah, that's what, as I say, the specifying the last two years have been a living hell. That's so the two years you've been waiting for your time in court where you're about to be sentenced for the crimes you've been committed, committing are the two worst years of your life. Yep. Duh. You're about to be, you're about to be punished. I'm adding that. I feel that when I watch the tapes, I'm in the midst of a root canal. Interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a few other ones that got a few of convictions. I didn't get. I don't think I managed to get all of them. I got a fair. I think I got most of them though. I feel like there's one or two missing, but uh, I. So yeah, David Wax was sentenced to seven years. Martin Walmark, who pled guilty to a charge of conspiracy to commit extortion, uh, was ordered to serve two years of supervised release and pay a fifty thousand dollar fine, otherwise facing up to five years in prison. Abraham Goldstein, Patash Shucha. Uh, Mosh Goldstein, Hellman, and Bulmash pled guilty to a count of travelling in interstate commerce to commit extortion, to which uh, Abraham Goldstein was sentenced to 45 years, uh, with 45 months difference, and Poshash was sentenced to 14 months. Shucha sent- was sentenced to time served on November 19. Okay, I didn't get I didn't get the time uh, how long uh, Shucha was sentenced to. You can tell me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually manage to get that one. I knew there was something missing. But yeah, anyway, Marsh Goldstein was sentenced on November 16th to 48 months, and Hellman and Bulmash were sentenced on November 17th, uh, Hellman to 44 months, and Bulmash to 48 months. Pretty much coming up to the end now. Uh, Israel Markowitz basically testified that he, basically when he was uh, abducted, he rec- he recognised David Epstein, um, or the prod, or according to the quote, the prod father's son. Oh god, the prod father. Um, or, I'm not going to board that. No, it's it's too good. It's like it's so bad, but it's so good. Oh man! Um, as one of the assailants, though, David Epstein was found not guilty of all charges. Ah, so the son managed to yeah. get out of the way. Though they, though all the but the other men on trial um, were guilty of conspiracy to commit to commit kidnapping. I'll put a few reactions in here as well, just to end up. Like a few of them were from quotes, and a few were just comments I saw online. Because, like I said, you can read from a few different ways. Aidan O'Connor um, was, guy, was guy around at the time, basically saying, who said that, um, these are people who are motivated by their sincere religious beliefs and a sincere desire to help women who are not being treated properly by their husbands. That's actually something which I can get behind. And I said, like, at the start, like, oh, actually, this might not be too bad. Yeah, like, I, mean, like I said, it's, you can see it from a few ways, it's basically visualantism gone into organised crime. Yeah, especially because of how much money they're getting. Yeah, plus you know, it was always paid. Yeah. Like, they got a lot of money from it. Someone called Suribury uh, said, said that what these rabbis did was not legal, but they were and continue to be against husbands who can go a lifetime without any judgment for withholding a Jewish divorce from their wives, rendering their wives prisoners for the rest of their lives. Why don't you speak to these women who are stuck and can never move on with their lives? Uh, I was one such woman. I languished for 15 years. Raised children on her own without a penny of child support from the absent father. There's a tale to be told of wo- of women who suffer in silence. They will take her cause to court. These husbands don't ever have to answer a judge. They're free to move on with their lives and torture their wives. And never have to pay for their crime. I don't expect you to understand. That's okay. It's always possible. If I wouldn't have gone through this ordeal, I would too. But I wouldn't understand. I want to get a few things from the ex community as well because it's kind of hard to say unless you're part of the community. Yeah, especially with it being American and a sort of sub community yeah. and it being a religious community yeah. as well. 
it's honestly I don't know much about Jewish communities at all. No, I um like, like this year it was mostly research and this is what I know. But then meanwhile there's another guy called Merlin, uh, who said, um I suspect the episode with the FBI agents posing as customers wasn't for the first time this group did business this way. Priests, rabbis, ministers, it seems far too many find it too easy to abuse our trust and the authority we allow them to, uh, to have over us. All the while lacking the holiness to serve as examples for the rest of us, some folks may counter that they're only human. That's exactly the point. They're only human. They deserve no more trust than any other person, something we should all remind ourselves to consider before bestowing our trust and any measure of authority to, over us to them. So, like, those are the main two ways people seem to go, go from it. Hey, the system was... I suppose that's the two things. It's like, one, why was the, even the system in place in the first place? And the other one is like, well, they were just working within a system which was biased against the... Yeah. Biased for the husbands and worked against the wives. Yeah, like I said, a lot of people do see them as vigilantes over criminals. But either way... You can't go around torturing people. No, no. <laughs> even if you get the nickname the Prod Father, you cannot carry on like just doing that. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, th- I think that's all of it. So we'll cut to music, and then we'll be back from the outro. And we are back. So, any last comments on the last stuff of stories? Well, uh, the story that you had was really interesting, purely because of the actual, like, one, fucking prod father. <laughs> My yeah. god. Two, that gave us the best possible title for this. This is true. Secure, contain, prod. And I love the actual fact, it's like the if you look into this, the one, the more ridiculous it seems and more... The conventions were like 2015, which is... So it was really, really close. Yeah, and then it's like... Well, I'm, I'm not going to read too far into this. I'm going to let... I'm going to let listeners uh, look into this further and decide what they decide. So obviously there's going to be some critique about uh, Ev- these like, smaller communities. A lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions on this. Yeah. Uh, Did the system fail... Like, that, like you can see the motivations for a lot of people in this. Yeah, I've got, like, I've definitely got my own opinions about what's right and wrong in this case. But regardless, at the very least, it makes for a very interesting story. And I yeah. think the matter, it's the fact that it runs up until 2015 is like insane. Over two decades of this. Yeah, it's like good motive, still criminal. <laughs> He took money as well. Like yeah. that's, I think that really start that too. The, that really undermines the whole start of that, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't insignificant. Like, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so anything you want to plug or shout out to or anything? I, I don't know. I oh, I I think this has been shout out, shouted out for potentially three episodes in a row now, but I set up a society. <laughs> <laughs> to introduce oh, I, LARP <laughs> I forgot you set it up yeah I actually set it up I don't, I'm not doing the major running part of it now because it's uh, starting to focus on the vampire thing but yeah I set it up it's actually, I'm actually really happy we've got loads of LARPers around now um, I, I'm not sure if it's three episodes in a row or four now and it's not been four intentional at all nope you're just collecting all the all the people who are part of it so right. I don't know like if, if you're in the University of Birmingham and you're a listener then um Aside from that, I don't know how I found found, found all these lapers. 
No. <laughs> I mean, like, you found him in all different places as well. You already knew, like, all of us anyway. Yeah, that's the weird bit. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, aside from that, I don't have much else to plug. So, then a uh, couple of shout-outs um, like we normally do each week. Uh, we have Nox Arcana for doing our intermission music. We have but a couple of podcasts I have listened to. Uh, as always, all bad things, because uh, I'm up to date with them now. I'm pretty sure they made fun of my voice three episodes in a row now. So thanks to Rachel and David. <laughs> so mean. So mean. He's got a lovely voice. Oh, I, it's, I find it very funny every time. Uh, we've actually got some plans in place for the future with them. Ooh. So uh, that should be fun. I will be watching out. Uh, Patreon's coming up. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Should be a couple of weeks, I think. Basically depends on when life lets me do it. Because uni is currently killing me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> but anyway, so um, that's that done. Normally a cool thing of the week. It's a PC game I'm playing recently called Subnautica. Ah, oh, Subnautica. I've never played it, but uh, it looks beautiful. I love the idea. It's pro- probably one of the best exploration games I've played in a while. Basically just surviving in the ocean of an alien planet. Very good, really fun. Yep. It's a reasonable price as well, I remember, right? Yep. And you know what uh, You know what would be the perfect thing to do while you're exploring this planet? Listen to some podcasts. That's actually what I've been doing. That's like the main reason I've been listening to podcasts recently, because I've been like... I've, I've, I've had it for a while, so I don't really need the sound much anymore. Yeah. Like, I have it on, but I normally have a podcast on top of it. Yeah. It's quite relaxing. I need something like that. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, actually, I know what else first. Uh, we are now available on Spotify. Hey, Spotify! That's a nice one. Yeah. So that means that if you're if you're not on desktop, if you're on PS4 instead, you oh. can actually listen to it. Yeah, or just your phone, whatever, like anything. Just look it up. Yeah, just look it up on Spotify. You can you're find on, us. You're on PS4 now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, weird. Is that done? Um, our social media stuff. As always, we have Facebook at facebook.com/slashbuildingtherocks. Recently, also started up a group for it, so for discussion stuff. Uh, probably expect to have most episode discussions, maybe a few polls. Um, I'll jump. I'll jump in on that. If anybody, if anybody just wants to throw around SCP ideas, I'd love to. I've got one or two SCP ideas. I they're a bit ill refined. I I need some more time, but I, I might. I'm thinking of maybe doing a weekly like off topic thing, so people can just Ooh. jump in, um, just have a, have a chat, meet and talk to people. That sounds interesting. But yeah, anyway, so that's that then. Uh, Twitter at the Bloody Rocks. Email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a podcast, send me your promo and maybe we'll do a swap. It, won't that be nice? Yeah, so I've done it with a few people now. It always, yeah. always goes down quite well. It's always fun. I, I recorded a little intro for Murderish Podcast the other week. I think episode six it came on. Nice. Um, so yeah, so. Hi, Jamie, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> She's very nice. She uh, she went for that podcast. Um, but yeah, anyway. So, that's social media done. I think that's everything. Is that everything? I I normally forget something, but it, it's fine. I'll get it next week. <laughs> maybe. So, we'll cut to music, and um, I'll see you next Tuesday, guys. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>